Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what was going on? He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. I can hardly ever get through reading that gospel without a little choke. It's so profound, so tender and so vividly real. We were in the Picos de Europa, the peaks of Europe, a mountain range in Cantabria, Spain. It's linked to the Pyrenees, but it ranges all the way through the northern part of Spain, all the way to Galicia. And it's a magnificent mountain range. In fact, I think it's even grander than the Pyrenees. And we were taking some time to study and to reflect and to trace the route of the Camino de Santiago, the great pilgrimage in Spain, the way of St. James. And Cantabria is a magnificent part of the world. In the northern part of Cantabria, it's called the greening of Spain because it's so lush and green by the ocean. This, this Bay of Biscay is next to the Atlantic Ocean and everything is just brilliantly beautiful, lush and green in the countryside. And then when you move south, you come to the mountain range, the Picos de Europa, and they just are incredibly beautiful. And our son Jonathan was with us, Nancy and I, and we were just kind of touring around, and John, who knew Spain because he lived there for, I think, seven or eight years, knew the terrain. He said, hey, Dad, Mom, there's this monastery down here. It's one of the places of the Camino. You might want to check it out. It even has a, a, a relic of the true cross. <laughs> well, he didn't need to convince us. We just wanted to see it. And so we did. And what was fascinating to me about it was that while this monk was telling the story of the cross and the relic of this true splinter of the cross of Christ, my attention and awareness went left 
and I, I saw this transept, this dark, darkened hallway that was lit by some votive candles, and then at the end of the hallway there was one shining light that was descending, illuminating a full-sized reproduction of Rembrandt's painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son. I was stunned by the painting. And if you've never seen it, I encourage you to look it up. Father Henry Nouwen wrote a book on the return of the prodigal in which he uses this painting by Rembrandt as an illustration and story of the prodigal son. Powerful. And every third year of Lent, we have the privilege of hearing it once again. We've heard it so many times, but I want to focus in on two kind of basic fundamental realities that have come to me in my study this year, in this time, in this point of my own journey and our journey together. It begins this way with these astonishing words, the context of why Jesus told the story. Listen to this. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently the Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. Their grumbling triggered Jesus to tell this story. It is the best story, the greatest story, the ultimate parable of Jesus. It is the grand parable of all of his teachings. In fact, we can say that Jesus is the parable of God. He is the story of God. But I love this idea that the reason why Jesus told it was because of the condemnation and judgment of the Pharisees against Jesus and the kind of people that he kept. Notice who are the ones who are willing to come to Jesus just as I am, I come. Who came to Jesus? Do a study of that in the Gospels and you'll recognize something absolutely beautiful. It was the broken, the sinful, the excluded, the downtrodden, the wounded ones who ran to Jesus, who came near to him. What does that say about who he really is? So this entire context of the parable, this controversy with the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus is revealing the heart of the Father. Jesus is the one who makes the heart of the Father known, revealing his solidarity with us. Jesus did not in any way agree to disassociate himself with those that were excluded and the sinful. In fact, he celebrated with them. He had table fellowship with them. And if that messes up your theology, read the gospel again. All right, two things. I'm not going to go through the whole story, although I'm sorely tempted. But in the interest of time, remember that this story is about two sons. These two sons who believe their own story and narrative is more important than the story of love. And we're a lot like these two sons. I think they play their part in our life and our journey. Call them sons, call them daughters, call them children. We represent these roles in our life. 
First, there's the prodigal son, the one who demands everything he wants from his father's inheritance and who makes this kind of decision fundamentally, you know, I'm going to go for it. I, I, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to allow the deepest desires of my heart to be gratified, and I'm going for it. I'm independent. I don't need this kind of thing. See you later, and I'm out of here. And then there's the other son, you know, the dutiful, the dutiful son or daughter who has done everything by the book, who has obeyed every command, who has never hurt the reputation of the family system, who has done it all his life, who's worked so hard, calling himself a slave of his father, and then becomes bitter and angry and resentful when he sees this son of yours, which was his brother, come in and take everything for free. He did not earn it. And so we go back and forth from this independence and this kind of rigid authoritarian obedience and resentment towards anyone who has it more better, who has it better than we. But you see, what's really going on here is that this is a story also about a father. And the father loves his sons, his daughters, his children. And we're told that when the father sees the son off in a great distance coming towards him, that he runs, he runs towards his son, throws his arms around him, kisses him, and then begins to adorn him with the finest and kills the fatted calf and throws a big party for his son who was lost is now Found. Why? That's the big question. I want to tell you why. Because Jesus is revealing the heart of God. And when God looks upon his creative children, his creatures, the ones he had made, what does he see? We're told in Genesis chapter 1 that God created each and every one of us in his image. That means that we are like God in his image. And therefore, God says in that creation story, this is good. This is so good. This is very good. Original goodness was given to each and every human being. They were created in the image of God. That is our essence. Our essence is not our sinfulness. Our essence is not low anthropology a deep and profound low of view of human nature. I don't go for that. I go for a high understanding of who we are because God declared us as inestimably valuable and worthy and good. Yes, there is a fall in chapter 2 and 3. Yes, there is sinfulness that comes into the world. But that is not our essence. And that is not how God looks at you, nor how he looks at me. And he doesn't look at his sons that way. He runs towards them, and he embraces them. And so, Jesus reveals something very profound about the heart of God. How is God looking at you this morning? What would be the expression on his face when he looks at you? My friends, he's singing over you. He's delighting in you. And he's inviting you 
Come, let's celebrate together. And then secondly, and this is a very powerful thing in the story. Henry Nouwen, as he's looking at this Rembrandt painting of the prodigal, the return of the prodigal, if you notice it, look at it, in the center, your, your view is drawn towards the center, and in the center, there is the father, and there is his son kneeling before him, and the father's hands are over his son's shoulders, and it's, it's glowing with light and transcendence. And there's this transparent love and embracing of his son. His elder brother's off to the side like this. And here's the little son brother who's just broken, desperate, and the father's hands are on him. That's the heart of God. Let me close with a story that impacts me every time I think about it. The Father's hands. On my left hand, I'm wearing a golden band. In the story, the father runs to the son and says, let's put a ring on his hand. This golden band, however, I've only started wearing in the past year. It was my father's, and it's beautiful. I, I don't know anything about my father if I don't know his hand with this golden band. All my life, I just can see him. And I only wear it when I celebrate the Eucharist and when I preach. And so, when I hear about the father's hands, I know the heart of God. And I want that more than ever. I'm with you, I'm a sinful man, but I am also an icon of Christ. And I wanna grow in Christ-likeness. I want to be on the side of Jesus, who loves to be with the sinful. And my friends, that's what the church is all about. Not judgment, not turning people away because they don't act like we want them to act. No, we stand with Jesus. We stand with the Father's hands because he loves us so much. So as we consider this today, my friends, no matter where you are on this journey, it's never far enough away from God. He wants us home anytime we are there and want to return to him because he loves us so much. And when you have that as the core reality of your being, no matter what happens to you, life is beautiful and good and true. Just think about this when you're worried or fearful or hurt. Think about the Father's hands over you because that is reality. Amen.